Episode 94 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast is a movie that we had thought or and perhaps hoped we would be skipping when it made its theatrical run, the Kumail Nanjiani Issa Rae rom-com The Lovebirds, which was picked up by Netflix once the coronavirus outbreak began. But first, how are you, Scott? Scott, I'm doing well. I think nothing sums up my attitude towards the Pretty much almost every movie that we've watched over the last two months is, well, I was really hoping to have avoided this movie in exchange for other films. Not that they've all been bad. Some of them have been very, some of them we've seen have, have been quite good in the movies that we've talked about. But uh, yeah, we've had quite a few movies where whether they would have been better or worse than what we were supposed to have seen, I'd rather have seen what we were supposed to have seen. And uh, yeah, so that kind of sums up my attitude. But overall, I'm doing okay. I probably had like, a, a mental dip over the past couple weeks in terms of how I was dealing with everything, although relatively still handling it mostly good. And I think that I've bounced back from that for the most part as I've seen people sink further into stupidity around me. It feels like I, I, I feel like a lot of a lot of the people that I see on social media, it's like the Toy Story gif where you have like Buzz Lightyear and it's like idiots, idiots everywhere. Um, and so that that's kind of how I felt the last uh the last week or so and, and I, that has somehow snapped me out of the i don't know mental low point that i might have been in for a little bit how are you doing i'm good yeah it is interesting to think about what you bring up of how many of these movies would we have actually seen if not for the pandemic i mean because like you know castle in the ground or uh, blow the man down some of the ones that have actually been good um Again, I don't know, like, even though there are movies that would have interested me, I don't know if I ever would have gotten around to watch. I mean, like the, this movie, for example, never would have seen it if not for that. And in, and in fact, was trying to avoid it, uh, even despite the fact that there was nothing really come, else coming out. But um, it is interesting to think about um, other movies like that. And I mean, while nothing has really like rocked our world in terms of the, um, you know, quarantine content. Yeah, like, I'm not sorry that I watched some of those movies, so. You know, maybe it's a good thing um, that we got this time period to to watch some stuff that we uh, otherwise, you know, normally wouldn't. Even if there everything hasn't been the most successful, we can broaden our horizons a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that with only a couple exceptions, I mean, maybe Blow the Man Down and Castle on the Ground being the two most obvious ones, I probably would have seen most of the movies that we've talked about. We just wouldn't have been talking about them, I think, and I think that yeah. that is is probably the 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 part that is a little bit sad. But that's okay. I mean, like, we, I don't want to go through the exercise of, of telling you exactly what movies we would have been seeing instead of these. But it's pretty incredible to think about the movies we would have already seen this year and what we haven't seen. Yeah, no thanks. But um, <laughs> yeah. onwards and upwards, I suppose there, uh, you know, there may be some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we yeah. we may. I'm still watching Chris Nolan's films, so that's good. So there yes, you go. yeah, we we may yet make it to July and um, be able to to open things back up. But we will see. We're still a couple of months off from being able to make that call. Uh, I think definitively, but 
without further ado, Scott, I don't think let, let's not dwell on the depressing reality of uh, of the movie landscape right now. Let's get to um, the review. Uh, so, The Lovebirds is the latest film from director Michael Showalter, whose 2017 dramedy The Big Sick became a surprise commercial and critical hit and launched the film career for comedian Kumail Nanjiani. Nanjiani reunites with Showalter for The Lovebirds, playing Gibran, the boyfriend of Issa Rae's Leilani. As the film opens, we briefly see the couple's first moments of fallen in, falling in love, but then are then quickly thrown into the future where their constant bickering has caused their relationship to suffer. The two are on the rocks when suddenly all hell breaks loose. Gibran accidentally hits a biker with his car, and when the biker gets up and rides away, a mysterious man played by Paul Sparks commandeers Gibran's car to chase the biker down. After killing the biker, the mystery man disappears, leaving Gibran and Leilani to take the rap for the murder unless they can figure out exactly what they've gotten themselves into. Scott, do Showalter and Nanjiani channel the magic of the big sick and the recent similarly plotted hit Game Night, or is The Lovebirds a stale retread destined to disappear into a mediocre pool of Netflix original rom-coms? Oh, man. Uh, I will say this is that uh, Netflix can wash their hands mostly of this because this is not a Netflix original movie. That is <laughs> true, yeah. It is a Paramount production. Uh, even though they but it will buy... probably be characterized as that just because of uh, yeah. that's where people are going to watch it. Most people, you know, yeah. unless you follow, you know, the, the film landscape like we do are probably not going to be like... In the in the mind to say, hey, this was supposed to be in theaters, and but it went yeah. to Netflix anyway. And a lot of yeah. people are saying that it feels like a Netflix movie anyway. Yeah, that, that's a fair point, actually. I think that I think that history probably will still just categorize it in there with the rest of them. I think this film, it was honestly, I'd forgotten that this was directed by Michael Showalter until like right before I turned on the movie, and I was like, oh, like. I, I like even when we were talking about off air, you know, obviously you were not super positive. But I was like, oh, Michael Showalter was awesome. Like, I love The Big Sick, one of my favorite movies from 2017. And this will not be one of my favorite movies from 2019 or sorry, 2020. I don't even know what year it is anymore. Time's a flat circle. Uh, this will not be one of my favorite movies of 2020. It is fine. Like, I think a lot of the movies that were that we were that I've that I've been watching and my opinions about them that have been on the more lighthearted side during quarantine is they're fine. Like this movie is fine. I think that there's some parts to like about this film. I think Nanjiani and Ray are really, really good in this film. I think they show that they both have a lot of like charisma and, and potential and some potential that at least Kumail Nanjiani has already showed Issa Ray. I haven't really seen that many of her, her films, to be honest. She may have already demonstrated that in other, another film she's been in, but man, like game night does this like whole story beat way better I mean, the big sick is is light years better than this film. It's just one of those things where, like, I enjoyed the per, the two of the central performances. Thank God it was less than ninety minutes. It's just like it was fast enough to keep going where I never like was beating my head against a wall. But overall, there's really not that much there in in, in the story, and and luckily it doesn't dwell on anything long enough to make you really question exactly what you're watching. But some of it is just like, well, I guess we're going along with this, and once you get to the end, you're like. Okay, that was that. Um, but it was it was it was fun enough. It wasn't as funny as even something like um, Valley Girl. Like I think I I laughed and enjoyed enjoyed Valley Girl a little bit more. But I think the performances were better than in Valley Girl. I think there were some other components here and there that were better than Valley Girl. But overall, again, I think this is gonna get logged in the annals of 
movies that you'll have forgotten after a little bit of time. Just let that sink in for a moment. Valley Girl was funnier than this movie, which is overtly a comedy and is going. So is Valley Girl, dude. It's a musical comedy. Through. I mean, yeah, yes, to to some extent, but still, I I would have think I would have thought that the directors would would have at least hoped for a higher hit rate than uh than Valley Girl. For yeah, sure, look, look, but... this movie's like build is like a, 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 a like straight a straight like a straight edge comedy, but like it's not that, and I don't really understand why they advertise it as such. Like, what'd you say? It's not because it's not funny. It's not a comedy at all. Well, I thought I thought some parts of it were funny. I just yeah. think that there are times where the movie is like taking a more dramatic turn. Obviously, like I mean, Game Night does it. Like I said, Game Night does it way. If you want to watch a better version of this movie, just watch Game Night. But I think that one of the things that I'm just confused by is that Showalter is like really was like really good at the big sick about turning like drama and you know these really intense like relationship um, situations and and making them really serious and making them have impact and then injecting comedy, not unlike like an MCU film, injecting comedy into the spaces in between that. And there's just nothing there. It's like they are overriding in this movie. And it, I think they both take away from each other. And it doesn't really feel like there's ever, it's only the points in the in-betweens, right? That that I think the comedy for me, at least, uh, it doesn't sound like it was for you, was more successful. But it, it just, for some reason, he wasn't able to evenly distribute and pace and pace the comedy and the drama very well. I think the movie overall, like I said, it's pretty fast paced. It's, it doesn't linger too long on one particular thing, but it doesn't get the balance. I guess the balance is, is the better way to put it. It doesn't get the balance right between the two. Um, and overall, it, it takes a lot away from the film. Yeah, I mean, so the reason that, for to, to be clear, the reason that I had such consternation about us even seeing this in the first place was just that I'm not a fan of studio comedies. I don't find them funny. Yeah. I don't think they're doing anything particularly original. I think if you go back through the studio comedies of the last decade, I'm trying to, I was trying to think when I watched this movie, what was the last one that I really liked? And I honestly think it might've been 22 jump street, which was 2014. You don't see um, that many of them though. It's not like you have a lot to choose from. I, I don't see that many of them. That, that is true. Um, but you know, I know what I like. And so I, I generally try to avoid these because I, I don't think I'm going to enjoy most of them. And most of the time, the reviews do back me up uh, because I think it, it hasn't been. I know, I, which yeah. is bewildering to me. But um, I think I think quarantine has made people go crazy. But yeah, but I, I mean, I will say, despite that, I, I went in with an open mind. Right. Like you said, Michael Showalter, Big Sick, did really enjoy that movie. I like Kumail. I known about him for quite a while from listening to Doug Love's movies and stuff like that, even, you know, from well before the big sick and everything. I know that he's charismatic. I know that he can be funny. And, you know, you have a similar setup to, to game night and like game night again is a movie that I didn't think was funny, but I enjoyed it because the story was creatively told as opposed to a lot of, you know, of these big, big budget comedies, it seems, but I hated this. Um, I thought it was just, is somehow interminable for 86 minutes. Um, and that's mainly because like, you know, you can tell, I mean, at least I could tell 10, 15 minutes in just the way that the jokes were going, like, this is not the kind of movie that I'm just, I'm going to find funny. And so then at that point, once you've already pretty much, you know, decided that, Hey, this isn't going to be for me. You then have to watch another hour of just those jokes coming fast and furious. Um, and yeah, they just, I, I didn't, I didn't laugh a single time. Like I'm not, I'm not exaggerating didn't laugh a single time and people will laugh and that's that's fine um again i'm probably not the target demo for this obviously um 
critics seem to be enjoying this a little bit more. It is barely fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which again is amazing to me. But sixty-seven percent, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't don't find the movie funny at all. And there's only so far that a comedy that that is not funny can take me. Um, and I think Game Night probably was about the extent of that length. And unfortunately, this movie, as you have said, Scott doesn't have anywhere near the creativity of game night. I don't, and especially too, at 86 minutes, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it should have been longer, but it's hard to tell this kind of like murder mystery conspiracy type story in 86 minutes, especially because you need, you know, 15 minutes or so to set up the characters, set up the plot at the beginning, you have basically an hour to tell this whole thing. And game night, if I'm not mistaken, was probably close to two hours. Um, and, and again, I think that they did the, the story element of this a lot better. So I never really got engaged at all in, in the storytelling. I mean, I think the, the stars are fine. Um, like to your point, like I've seen Kumail and stuff, obviously I, I do like him. Issa Rae, I haven't seen her in much, but like, I know people are big fans of her. It's easy to see that she does have charisma. I just don't get any pleasure of seeing people who have obvious charisma thrown into um, a story, a story and a script and, and a movie that doesn't um, doesn't deserve them probably. Um, and I don't think that there's really, I mean, as talented as they are, I don't think there's much that they can do to elevate what is on the page here. Um, there's only so much you can do with, with jokes that aren't fun. I mean, you can be, you can be George Carlin and you can't make this thing hilarious, but um, yeah. So take my words with a grain of salt. If you do like studio comedies, because um, you know, people seem again, so, some people seem to be enjoying. So I, I have seen, I've seen things on both sides of the spectrum, um, but some people do seem to be enjoying this. If you thought the trailers were appealing, then you're probably going to like it. But if if you're, you know, you're, you're looking for something in quarantine, you don't usually go for comedies, but you're thinking, hey, maybe this will be a nice watch in quarantine. I don't think this one's going to be for you. Yeah. Game night was 100 minutes, so not too much longer. Okay. Well, it still feels like they were able to accomplish more. I don't know. I, I would probably have to go back and rewatch that. But yeah, I think, I mean, part of the deal with this movie, right, is I know we might be jumping around a little bit here in terms of talking about this later, but the part of this movie is just to like, you get like, an hour, hour, 10 minutes into this film and you get to this like set piece in, in the theater or whatever. And then like the movie just like decides to take a turn. And I thought it was actually kind of funny, not not any joke that was made on the screen, but I just thought it was funny that the movie just decides to like, you know, that's like murder mystery that they're going and chasing. Actually, we're just going to bring them to the police station, tell them everything's fine and then send them home. And then like you get the finale coming out of that. I, I thought that was a funny like way to take the plot and uh, keep keep the film pretty short. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's to teach their own. I mean, I smiled because I knew that the movie was about to be over at that point. But um, I, I don't think that I, I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. It just, I don't think that it was executed that well. But yeah. Especially because that whole theater scene. Well, we'll get to it. But um, <laughs> yeah, let's start. Let's start with the the uh, some midsummer in there. Yeah, well, it's eyes wide shut. Like that. That's the that is the quote unquote joke of the scene. But yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's start with the cast, though, Scott. Um, you've mentioned the two stars. Let's let's start with them: Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Um, what do you think they're able to to bring to these roles here of Gibran and Leilani, this couple who? you know, is bickering, but then sort of um, rediscovers their love for each other over the course of this whole thing. 
Yeah, I, I like I said, I like Kumail Nanjiani. I like Issa Rae in this. I, I think that they actually do a pretty good job of doing the best they can with the material they're given. So in terms of that, I think their performances are actually, in my opinion, fairly strong. I just think the material that they've been given to work with is pretty poor. Like, it's really not there. Yeah. I think some, some like the characters that you see, there's like a couple good scenes for these characters, and that's it. And I know it's not a very long movie, but there's only one or two scenes where I felt like I was really connecting with like the emotional arc these characters are going through on like a personal level. And in a, in a film that if you know, you, that ostensibly, yes, it's a comedy, but is about, you know, it's not a rom-com, but it's essentially about this relationship and it's about this relationship sort of decaying and falling apart. And, you know, maybe, maybe, or maybe not coming back together towards the end. I think that that's something that you really need to connect to the characters emotionally on uh, again leaving the comedy aside i think that's something that you need and i got that in a couple moments i got that in you know a few moments i, I liked a couple of the scenes that they that they had together although almost i, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way i like the scene they had in the car when they were realizing what the state of their relationship was I actually really liked that scene although it was very the first 15 minutes of this movie are like very difficult to watch i think it's just like oh boy um, I know that's the, I know that's the point, but man, it didn't make it easier to watch it. But the, right at the end of that, when they're in the car, I think that scene I connected with at a level where you're just like arguing, 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 and then like you spoke your mind, and you're like, "Well, shit!" Like <laughs> I don't know if we should be together. Um, and then towards the end, uh, when they're actually with their friends at their house, like the conversations they're having on the side, I liked those moments too. But in terms of like the emotional points that these characters are hitting. Re really that was i mean that was the extent and it's unfortunate because like i said even in those moments where i don't really feel like i'm connecting with the characters i really believe and i really like the performances from Issa ray and camille nanjiani and i just wish that they had better material I i'm looking forward to nanjiani in the eternals which is no longer later this year it's next year now but i'm looking forward to seeing him in that and then uh i there was a movie earlier this year that Issa ray was in called the photograph which was on my which was on my short list of, of movies to watch uh, in my backlog, that was with Lakeith Stanfield. Is another person I really like um, recently. So I might, I might try to dig that one up if it's see if it's out on VOD and watch that because I do want to see something else with with her in it. Because uh, again, I think there's lots of potential here. Unfortunately, the material was just pretty limiting for these characters that they were playing. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? It, it doesn't like I, I don't know that I really think that these people should be together in the end of the you know even by the end of the movie that these oh, people totally should, should yeah. be in a couple. And I think yeah. that the movie wants you to root for them to, to be together. And like, there's just nothing that we really see that suggests that they should be together. All right. Like we get this first little opening of them, but that's like their first date, right? That is like the, the first date, like a haze, yeah. like you have your, your, your goggles on, um, for lack of a better phrase, it's I guess. Honeymoon. It's the honeymoon. Right. It's the honeymoon. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and then we see like, they're immediately just bickering all the time. Um, that's four like years next, later, but yeah, yeah. The next thing we get, yeah, but but that's my point. We don't get the good moments of those four years if there were some. So yeah. uh, there's not really a lot for us to go off on uh, of you know w whether these people should be together. And I mean, look, they they obviously grow closer by the end of the movie, but like it's because of this insane scenario that will never again be replicated in their lives. And you know, Game tomorrow, night. two days later they're going to have to go back to being that same couple that, you know, they, they were before all of this started. And I have a feeling it's, it's not going to work again, but so, so, I mean, I think that um, puts us at a distance right there from the beginning almost, but I also, I mean, I think the performances are good. I, I, I mean, I like, like the, I think they both have a real like 
every man, every woman quality to them. I think they, they just seem like normal person that you could meet any day, um, which, which is cool for one reason, because they're obviously di it's diverse casting. Right. But at the same time, this, this just kind of PO'd me. Why are there these jokes about like pol police, like racial profiling and police brutality and stuff? I thought that those were completely tasteless to be quite honest with you. Um, given, I mean, I, I say given recent events, but honestly, given events any time in the last few years, I don't think that those I don't think that I personally would find those very funny. But I mean, th there is a, there there are all these these um, parts about um, where they don't want to call the police because, oh, of course, they're going to think we did it because we're, you know, we're black and brown. Um, and yes, like, sure, that is like satire, I guess, of our society of like picking up on something that um, is a trend in our in our society and trying to make humor out of it. But I don't think there's any humor to be um, derived from the fact that, that is a very real reality that a lot of people have to face. Um, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, broaching potentially controversial or offensive topics and in, in comedies. But I don't know this one it, it just felt it, it felt wrong to me but um so so i think that almost negates a little bit of like the the goodwill that maybe they get from having the diverse casting well the, yep yeah, they also turned that on on its head by the end of the film though like I, i'd love to hear your thoughts on that since i mean that whole thing is is i mean the whole i mean a second layer of that joke is that they're wrong yeah but they're not wrong is the thing though that it that, sure. like if we're talking about real life they're not wrong um and so so maybe that that even makes it almost worse right that in the end that they're kind of like the police were fine they weren't they weren't ever going to do this to you guys well they probably would have in real, in real life um and so yeah that that, that almost makes it a little bit worse and i i don't know again i i, I found it tasteless not everyone will um maybe it's just because i have uh, you know, a, a stronger opinions about the criminal criminal justice system and all of that uh, because of, you know, the career field that I'm going into. Um, but I, I don't know. It, Did it, you hear it, that, guys? It, it He's a lawyer wrong. now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. That is not true. I have a JP, but I'm not a lawyer. But yeah. uh, it, 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 came, it came off poorly to me. I don't think that that there was there was much humor to be taken from that situation. Um, yeah, but okay, Scott, uh, as far as the supporting cast goes, no. um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the right opinion, but if you have any words to say about Paul Sparks or Anna Camp, who are really sort of the, the two, only two people you'll really recognize here, um, say them now. Oh man, Anna Camp really shouldn't have been in this film. <laughs> what a bad performance. And I um, knew from the, tr from the trailers, right? Because the whole, like, oh yeah course her whole scene yeah, i mean her one scene is, is in is in the trailer yeah so. pretty much yeah uh, i guess paul sparks is fine i thought he was dead at the end of thoroughbreds but i guess not um we never actually saw him get killed i mean that's true to be fair <laughs> yeah what, what what's some like alt take on the end of thoroughbreds that <laughs> she just went to the kitchen she got killed another horse <laughs> she, no no, no. Uh, anya anya's character killed a horse just so she could be in solidarity with with uh Whatever, I forget what their names were in the movie. Mark. Oh, well, I guess his the dad's name is Mark. It's I can't yeah. remember. I can't remember Olivia Cook. Rebecca name. may have been one of them. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Lily. That was that was Anya Taylor Joy's character. But no, so gotcha. go ahead. Anyway, yeah. Paul Sparks is like 
fine. Like, like he's he's definitely better than Anna Camp. Um, but I mean, like, he's not. He's got like two, three scenes. He's got obviously the the scene from the trailer, and then two other scenes. I don't know. Like, it's fine. He doesn't really leave an impression. He's probably the he's probably like the right typecast for this role. I don't know, but like, he's also like a total blank slate. It feels like he can just project. Well, I was gonna say I don't think he's even supposed to be funny. Like, oh no, no, I don't think so either. It's just like he's he's this like really jaded person. I mean, you learn a little bit more about him over the course of the film, right? Like, he's this like really jaded person who's who's like double and triple and quadruple crossing everyone. It seems like, and I mean, that's another part of the whole plot. It's just like, what is this conspiracy? I don't even understand anymore. Like, what is it going on with everything? <laughs> um, which is kind of how I felt about his character as well, but. Uh, yeah it's what's his performance is fine i no one will remember it yeah i mean i i don't have anything much to add here like i think that anna camp's southern accent is awful um terrible really 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 ruins things um and yeah like i i don't think paul sparks really adds much other than oh hey there's paul sparks like when he gets in the car um that was that was about the only reaction i had to his character whatsoever i mean at the end he does i think make a solid point in the final climactic showdown of saying you guys are like so annoying how much you fight all the time or whatever and i was like yeah you're not wrong um but i think that <laughs> that is the that that is the the sum total of his contribution to the movie unfortunately and i mean like maybe there's an area again maybe there that's an area where they could have improved things instead of like relying on the the stars to put so much of the movie on their back like maybe they could have um you know had some nice quirky supporting characters who just pop up in there for five to seven minutes yeah. i mean maybe they maybe that's what they thought anna camp was going to be but obviously that didn't come off well, not, but not I mean, to sorry. continue to compare it to Game Night, but that's what Game Night did so well is that their supporting characters were awesome. Like there's some amazing supporting characters like Jesse Plemons and 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 I mean going back to Twenty Two Jump Street, which I mentioned. I mean Ice Cube is probably the funniest person in the movie. So like y you need to be able to recognize the strength of like having a good supporting cast and comedy and the different sort of flavor that they can add so that you don't get just bogged down in the same character dynamic of hey it's these two people who are bickering with each other, but also maybe they're going to get back together by the end of the movie. Yeah. I, but, I, yeah. Honestly, I think I'm going to be really honest about this. Like, I think the difference between this, this film and game night is that they actually decided to spend money on like more than just their main two actors. Like obviously you have Jason Bateman and uh, Rachel McAdams in game night, but then they actually went out and like got Kyle Amini, Chandler, like, yeah. yeah, Kyle Chandler. They got Je like Jesse, I know Jesse Owens is not super expensive, but like they got Jesse Plemons. like even, like Billy Magnuson, I think is pretty funny in that in that too. Like they go out and they actually spend some more money on on getting the supporting cast that they can actually do something with. And in this film, they spent. I was just looking at the budgets here. Like Game Night spent thirty seven million. Not, not not all that's going to to actors and stuff like that. Some of that's going to go to like the set design because Game Night does some does some stuff with with their set and their production. Uh, but then like they have Camille Nanjiani and they have Issa Rae. Like Anna Camp is not is not pulling anyone to the theater. Like I know, even even the most crazy pitch perfect fans are not going yeah. to the theater to watch to watch this film because of Anna Camp. I mean, no one's going to the theater to watch this film. Even the most I mean. crazy thoroughbreds fans, uh, one of which I am, or House of Cards fans, are not going to. See oh yeah, he wasn't House Paul of Cards. Um, but yeah, no, I th I think I think you make make a good point there. Maybe they just didn't have the money to spend. But even still, there are some. You know, there there are comedians out there who could show up in in supporting roles and probably would would 
you know, give, give work for less to be a chance to, to, to have a chance to be a part of a, you know, big budget comedy or, you know, big studio comedy. like Yeah. This. And especially when you have like Mike, you have Michael Showalter directing it. Like you have yeah. Michael Show, you have Nanjani, you have Ray, like these people. I mean, like, I don't know, maybe they're not pleasant to work with. I have no idea. I don't know anything about these people, but like, I assume that these are talents that the people, if you're interested in doing a, a comedy or a romantic comedy would be interested in working with. I mean, he just show, got an Oscar nomination, right? That's what that's for, right the big sick, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say he he's like he's Oscar nominated. Like I, I you don't get too many comedy directors who are doing things that you know they give you the chance to work with an Oscar nominated. Not maybe people don't care about that in comedy space, but um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it, it's strange. Paramount probably it's one of the things where like may, if you spent a little bit more more money, maybe you'd made a little bit more money. But technically, you're not making any money off this at all because it's just going on streaming. But I mean, Paramount cashed out and got their Netflix money, but. Yeah. Um, okay. Do do we want to say anything about the plot any further? Because uh, obviously we have made the comparison to Game Night. I mean, I think one of the problems for me, right, is that it's not just Game Night. It is Date Night. It is, uh, to, to my uh, recollection, I didn't see this when you saw it, but Murder Mystery, I think, was was somewhat similar to Adam Sandler. Uh, Jennifer I mean, that Aniston. was like a whodunit, but... Okay. Um, but I think that this in general, this sort of like couple gets caught up in, you know, a unsuspecting couple gets caught up in like, a, you know, violent crime or whatever is becoming, you know, kind of tired and worn out in terms of, um, you know, a, a plot, um, a type of plot to have in a, in a romantic comedy. Um, but did you think that this the the story here added anything fresh or, or new to this sort of familiar type story that we've seen maybe recently? Honestly, no. I think I think the only thing that it might have added is just the direction it takes towards the end of the film, right? Like I was talking about, like you have these people going on this. Mur I mean, that is mur to your to the way you described it. Murder mystery would be similar that they are swept up mm -hmm. in this larger scheme because that is what happens to. Uh, Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston's characters, even though it is, it is like, I guess, genre-wise, just a slightly different take on this broader genre that we're talking about here. And I think that I'm not personally tired of this because I, I actually quite like this. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I love Game Night so much is that I think the the plot type or like the archetype for what this is going for like works and it works for me. I think it's funny because I'm someone who, not unlike you, I don't, I don't usually, I'm not that interested in going just watching a, you know, run of the mill comedy i like something a little bit extra flavor added into it um and 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 something like this plot structure works for me in that way so i don't i don't personally find it tiresome it's just the fact that this one just didn't do anything interesting let alone innovative with it and i said the only thing that it might have broached being innovative with is the way that it takes the plot in the final act where it goes from these people hunting down you know, essentially the people who are responsible for the things that they think that they are going to be accused of and it takes them out of it. And they all of a sudden they're like, no, we didn't think that you're doing this. You don't need to worry about anything. Just go home. Uh, and kind of just like shuts down the whole plot that's been pushing you forward. How cavalier they are with throwing, you know, a lot of like their previous 50, 45, 50 minutes of plot away is probably uh, how much you should value the 45 or 50 minutes of the plot as well. But I, I thought that was, again, less of an interesting plot device. Maybe that's not the right way to describe it. But I thought that was a funny turn of events because it's like, yeah, of course, like they have they have street cameras. They can see that you had nothing to do with it. They saw that your car got jacked. Um, like, overall, it just it, I think that that was a that was a mildly innovative direction to take your plot. But 
again, that's sort of like a microcosm of, of, of the overall film, right? It's not like they are, I shouldn't say it's not a microcosm of the overall film because they are essentially taking this plot device and doing something throwaway with it and not actually innovating the whole structure of the film. Uh, they're, they're, again, they're just they're just changing a plot point and, and throwing something away. So I think that's like probably the closest thing that comes to sort of sort of innovation with the structure of this. Overall, besides that, like like I said at the beginning, I appreciated how fast paced it was, and it never lingers long enough and dwells on the good or the bad. There was maybe more bad than than good in there, so it was good that it just kept moving. Um, but overall, it's just like. I'm trying to even think about the scenes that I'll even think about a week from now. I don't think there are any. Yeah. I mean, like the big, the big scene there, the big sort of reveal scene is that is literally just a rip off of eyes wide shut. Right. It's like, I mean, there's not even that many. It's, it's like, what if we put two normal people? I mean, and that's, that's where a lot of the, the comedy comes from in these types of movies. It's like, what if we just threw normal people into this insane situation? But uh, maybe it's just because I am a big fan of eyes wide shut that I was just like, hacked off about what if we just threw a normal guy into or you know this this normal couple into the the craziness of of you know the what's going on in eyes wide shut but um that is also kind of what is going on in eyes wide shut except it's played straight and not for comedy but regardless um yeah i don't think i have anything to add really it's it's there's nothing really engaging about the plot i mean i was definitely looking at my phone a few times during the movie which was you know i did appreciate it was that it was on netflix for that reason um and by the end i was like okay it's over that that was that was fine um the last thing i do want to talk about scott is sort of maybe the business side of this just for a, a minute or two about uh, the fact that right this they decided they made a strategic decision here to say hey we're not gonna we're not gonna proceed with the theatrical run we are going to to move it to Netflix. And I think that myself and probably many others out there feel that this is going to result in the movie doing better than it would have in theaters. I think that this movie probably would have been, probably would have not done that well in theaters. Um, so do you think that that is the case or, uh, and you know, on that note, do you think that we will see studio comedies, more, more studio comedies like this or mid-budget studio comedies going to streaming first um, because they can, you know, perhaps reach, reach a bigger audience than they would if they were in the theater and going to be competing. I mean, against, I don't know what was going to be out at this time, but um, you know, well, it was, so, also, so, it was also supposed to release in, in April. I think it was going to be basically up against no time to die. Yeah. Um, right. So, so in any, in any event, at, at any time of year, these types of movies are probably going to be up against something bigger at the, the theater but what do you what do you think about all of this scott yeah i mean here, here's the thing right like i was looking i mean i did look up the the budget for game night and saw that it made like 140 million which is really good i mean that is like really good for a studio comedy if i don't know if it made back it's i don't like i don't know how much they spent on marketing i assume that it, it made some money for them but like you can't spend a ton of like you have to keep studio comedies at a budget at this point right like there is the odd comedy that will be really successful there's good boys last year there's long shot last year i mean that's seth rogan i think but, but a lot of what you need in those is like identifiable stars or an identifiable director things like that like you need someone as as much as he is he a controversial out, yeah yeah i mean well yeah i mean so that's the thing I, i'm actually really surprised that king of staten island is is going to vod for that very reason because i think i'm surprised judd apatow is letting it go to vod 
Um, but yeah, like Judd Apatow is someone like even, I mean, like even Todd Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. Todd Phillips, David O. Russell, even, I mean, I know he's a little bit mixed between comedy and, and more dramatic things, but like you need recognizable directors or you need recognizable names. Sometimes you need both to actually make a splash. And these sort of like really quote unquote studio comedies, if, if you don't have that, I just don't see them being that successful. I mean, what I mean, Netflix just murdered the romantic comedy genre for theaters. I mean, they, they might have already been dying, but Netflix owned romantic has owned romantic comedy so much in the last two years. Like, no one is interested in going to the theater and seeing a romantic comedy. It's like it's just the reality. Like, no no one cares to do that anymore. And that's and that's whether it's because Netflix has introduced themselves and kind of positioned themselves as a romantic comedy provider specifically. I mean, yes, they, they do everything. They cover everything. They cover almost every genre at this point. But the fact that they kind of rose to prominence as being that kind of killed it. And, and I wonder if they might start to also try to expand that romantic comedy into just broader comedies, right? Like they don't mind spending 10, 20, 30 million dollars on a film. And honestly, this film, I'm sure, is going to get like like tens of millions of people to watch it. And there's no way that tens of millions of people would have gone to see this in theater. There's just no way. Like, there's like forget forget what it's up against. It, it could be up against nothing, or it could be up against Avengers Endgame. This movie's not going to make a hundred million at the box office. As as recognizable stars as Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae are, I just don't think people are going to turn up for this film. And again, maybe I'm just patently wrong about that. Like, I don't know. Like, I I'm a huge fan of Nanjiani, and I and like I'm trying to think like unless you're Tyler Perry, like I don't, I like or like Kevin Hart, like I don't think like. Like I, I like does Issa Rae have that kind of star power to 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 bring out the the crowds like those two do? I'm not sure. Maybe she does. Maybe I'm very wrong about that. But I really do view her more on like the Lakeith Stanfield to speak of her, you know, the photograph co-star as someone who very talented. Maybe in ten years will draw their own their own audiences to movies. But right now, I don't think that 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 person can bring a hundred million dollars to the box office uh, with, with their name alone. And granted, it's not only her name, but. As talented as they are, I just don't know if if you have like the cultural zeitgeist uh, yet to do that. And, and if you don't, it's really, really hard to see how a movie with anything larger than a single digit budget is going to be successful. Yeah, I mean, Game Night, I think, was an anomaly just because it had really, really good word of mouth. Right. Like people Extremely, were like, yeah. no, this isn't just like a, a good for a studio comedy. This is actually really good and I, I mean ultimately i don't think i agreed with that i think it was just it was good for a studio comedy but that is what i think got people out to the theaters and like this movie yes it has you know decent reviews as we said but it's not the type of movie that even the people who liked it are going to be like you know it talking about it as effusively as they were when game night came out so i think yeah and the lack of stars like like you pointed out i just think that unless you have yeah, unless you have The Rock, unless you have Kevin Hart, unless you have uh, Will Ferrell, you're not going to, you know, get get people out in, in the numbers that, um, you know, that that is going to challenge anything big at the box office. So I think we probably will see this kind of a try. I mean, I think the Judd Apatow movie you mentioned there, uh, King of Staten Island, I think that'll be another one. It'll be interesting to see, you know, are a lot of people talking about it or are a lot of people watching it on streaming when it comes out because, I mean, that maybe so more than even this would be a good indicator because Judd Apatow is traditionally someone who can get people out to the theaters to get to see studio comedies. And so if he is saying, hey, look, I'm going to just stick with streaming for now, I think that that could could make a big 
big impact, you know, after this long after this pandemic is over. So uh, we were looking at the schedule and I don't know if we'll end up covering King of Staten Island, but I'm intrigued by that film. I mean, Pete Davidson doesn't really do much for me. I I find him to be more of an annoying figure in pop culture than anything. But I'm intrigued by the movie because one, for some reason, someone let Judd Abatel let this movie be like two hours and 20 minutes, which I think is just like a cardinal sin. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, but also like, it looks like it looks like an interesting film. I'm I'm interested to see what they do with it and how they play off of Pete Davidson's like the cultural perception of Pete Davidson because he's he's kind of a head case sometimes. He's so. be, he's be, Judd Apatow is becoming James L. Brooks. Um, <laughs> you you don't love to see it. Um, okay, Scott. Anything else to add before we wrap up on this movie? Uh, go watch Game Night. I am really high on it. Unlike Scott, it sounds like. I mean, if you want to watch it comedy that is better than this then yes go watch game night but if you want to watch a really good comedy and actually quality comedy go watch book smart or 22 oh, yeah. jump street <laughs> and yeah that, that that's some wisdom for you although book smart's not a studio comedy but um no, I, jump just, I, just, I mean i just said comedy in general but uh oh no i know i know i was just like yeah i never realized how big of a jonah hill fan you were i don't yeah, I don't know if I am or if I just like a lot of movies that he's been in. But um, I mean, I don't I, like I said, I think Ice Cube is the funniest in the movie. Well, I think that Lord and Miller are the funniest ones in the movie. I think that's why the Jump Street movies work. But um, all right, Scott, uh, favorite scene or moment from The Lovebirds? <laughs> I knew this question was coming. I didn't know how to answer it. Um, you gave it two and a half stars. You must have liked something. <laughs> I like the performances. I like the performances yeah. a lot. Um, and I like that it was fast paced. I like that it was less than 90 minutes. Uh, best, best moment. You go first. <laughs> you go first. I, need a second. Um, I think that there may have been one joke that I would have laughed at if it wasn't in the trailer, which is just the, when Paul Sparks, after he, um, gets in the car, he runs over to the biker. He like backs up over the bike because he has told them that he is a cop. Right. And, and Kumail just goes, I don't think he, he's a cop after he like has run over this guy five times. Like, yeah, no, duh. Um, well, and, actually, I mean, his, actually he was a cop. So screw you. Yeah. Well, his delivery of the line was, was pretty funny, but I mean, that's, that's it. I'm sorry to say that is it. And one, one thing I will add, I don't know why it just sprang into my mind, but this movie is set in new Orleans, right? Which I think is an interesting place to set a, a movie and a comedy they didn't make good use of the setting at all i don't think i like i think there could have been there was like much, one drunk couple that got into an uber right yeah i think they could yeah. have had a much better use of a location that you don't often see in movies but you know has a lot of um flavor to it that i think could have could have spiced something up like that but something like this up but um just another missed opportunity there i think yeah, I I think like like that is a good moment. I I yeah, I, that is a good. That probably is one of the one of the better jokes in the movie. I I guess what that just shows how low of a bar it is. I think. No, I mean it's funny. Uh, I think going going with the interrogation scene at the police station when they're well, when they realize that really this they were running away from the cops the whole time and the cops were just trying to help them. Uh, I think that was probably my favorite scene, and it was towards the end of the movie. There you go. There you go, indeed. All right, score out of ten. Four point seven. Yeah, two point five for me. Really, really did not did not enjoy this. I, I definitely consider it on the same wavelength as Love Wedding Repeat, which we had a few weeks ago on Netflix. Um, yeah, it hasn't hasn't been a good 
year for Netflix rom-coms so far, whether they are Netflix originals or not. Um, but, you know, tomorrow is another day to quote um, Gone with the Wind. And next week will be another movie from Netflix, given their output. So. <laughs> um, anyway, exactly. I'm stabbing my eyes out for those who can't see, uh, which is going to be everybody. But that should do it for our review of, uh, of Almost Said Game Night, of The Lovebirds. <laughs> um, after the break, we'll be talking about the new trailer for Christopher Nolan's Tenet, as well as uh, a new superhero movie in the works over at MGM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, a few uh, news items to get to here, uh, and a couple in the the world of blockbuster films that you want to talk about. Um, why don't we start with the new trailer for Christopher Nolan's maybe not coming out in July anymore uh, new film, uh, Tenet. Yeah, I, so I I think I talked about this on the podcast that I did have the great fortune of going to see. Rise of Skywalker in IMAX when I saw it. And when I say great fortune, it's not because it was just such a sight to behold on the big screen in IMAX. It was because it was the film that Warner Brothers had paid for the prologue of Tenet to be shown in. And as some of our viewers may or may not know, I guess, uh, pretty much every Nolan movie has this sort of like IMAX prologue shot in er, that's put up put in front of uh, the big Christmas release the year before his films uh, that only you can only see it when you see the film in IMAX so Rise of Skywalker this year I think for Dunkirk was it it actually might have been was it oh I'm forgetting right now what the big Christmas release was in 2016 before Dunkirk came out right now I don't know Uh, no I don't would it have been oh yeah no it would have been Rogue One so yeah that's probably what that's probably what it was, actually. It was probably Rogue One, uh, so on so on and so forth. That, that happens. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to see the Tenet prologue in which there are quite a few of the clips in, in this trailer were, were, were cut from that prologue. But I think the trailer overall, really strong, kind of just confirms uh, everything that we I already thought about. I don't want to say we. I already thought about this film is that it's very out there, very different than I think even like... It, this is the cool thing about Nolan. I'll just back up for a second. Is that it's amazing how he makes movies that are just so clearly Christopher Nolan made, yet n- really not at all the same as anything else that he's done before. I've seen like people out there talking about, oh, this is like a complimentary piece to Inception. I'm like, what part of this is complimentary to Inception? Like nothing here <laughs> is really exploring any of the same themes that Inception is exploring. I really haven't understood that like take out there. Maybe like like aesthetically it looks kind of similar to inception maybe i don't know but like catching the bullet versus shooting the bullet which is kind of like the thing that everyone's talking about i think coming out of this trailer is is like very different and again very christopher nolan like if you saw this and you ha- didn't know what it was and you didn't know who was directing it, you'd be like christopher nolan is probably directing this film uh that's just the kind of film that it is and i and i just love that i mean we've been rewatching the nolan films for for our countdown mini series and i just wow just like what an what he's such an incredible filmmaker and we're getting to a point now where you get to the get to the films that he's like really imaginative out there because like i guess i didn't ha- had forgotten that like when he's early on like he's doing really creative things with his films but his the his imagination which i think he's become more known for recently was not really there 
in a lot of his earlier films uh, and really well, came I think to the it's forefront just, with Inception and, and Interstellar. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's what I was going to say. I guess you can see he eventually got a bigger budget to where he could afford to dream bigger, whereas something like Memento, he was having to sure. uh, you know, temper yeah. his, his imagination maybe a little bit to the constraints of the budget. Yeah, the the point is now he can go he can go make Absolutely. a film with whatever budget he wants because Absolutely. Warner Brothers will throw, I think literal not truckloads but school buses full of money at him uh, to use a Dark Knight reference. Maybe he'll just have school buses full of money for Chris Nolan to make a movie that he wants to make, and that's awesome. It's just awesome that that exists out there. That there's someone who the that audiences love to go see that studios trust with that money and who doesn't compromise on his vision for films. And, and that's just amazing. And I think that you see, I think maybe I'm just absolutely just a total Stan or like fanboy for Nolan, but I think you see that just in the trailer. And I think, yeah, no, Scott, Scott is nodding his head. Yes. When I said that, which is totally accurate, but I think that you see that in the trailer. And I think that's, what's awesome. Obviously the end of the trailer, the trailer ends with coming to theaters with no date. So I think we're screwed guys. I think we're out. I think we're out of luck. Yeah. They still I think, haven't said anything official though, which is strange. I think it's probably because they're trying to decide whether they want to, they want how how late they want to bump it. I think in an ideal world, right, like that maybe it still comes out uh, like in August, like it takes Wonder Woman's uh, release date because it's all Warner Brothers and they push Wonder Woman back to like Thanksgiving Christmas. If but I think that they have to think about whether or not they they actually think it's realistic that theaters would be open in in August too. I think I think they're I think the fact that they've taken their date off of their advertising videos is a dead giveaway that they are they are not coming. This movie is not coming out July seventeenth, but we don't officially know that yet. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean, I think that um, they, look, they know what they're doing, right? They know that everyone has been talking about like th this is it. I mean, I guess you have you have Mulan that's still out there too, and for July at the moment, but. Um, like this is the one everyone has been talking about. Hey, is this going to be the movie to reopen theaters? Every it's holding in July. They were supposed to make a decision, you know, this one week they didn't make a decision. So it seems like it's still um, going to be in July. And so I think they know what they're doing when they, when they don't say it's going yeah. to be in July. Um, I think that they are trying to temper people's expectations and maybe, you know, and maybe things will change enough to where they could still put it out in July. But I'd say at this point, the, the chances of that are, are looking slimmer and slimmer. I think that they probably will aim for a fall release because I mean, right now, look, I, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know, but right now it seems like by September, I, theaters will be open. Like I, I feel somewhat confident in saying that at, at this point, they, I mean, they will probably still be exercising social distancing protocols. I mean, I would definitely think so, but I think that, the path that we are on right now, if, if the path that we are on right now continues at the same pace, then I would be very surprised if by late August, September, we, they, they are not open. And, and, you know, maybe then they will. So, so maybe they will, they will, you know, bank on that happening and, and, you know, put this in mid September or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, well, I think like that, the that, that's the interesting part, right? Is that like the path that we're on, but that, that path that we're on that you're talking about is so different region by region in the, in the US. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. The southeast is open. Like there's there's mm -hmm. no re like phased reopening uh, happening at all really. It's like, all right, if you want go out there and do it. Like you're open, you're you're good to go. Whereas here in Massachusetts, New York, California, these are like really long phases of reopening. Like Mass like Charlie Baker who's Massachusetts governor has laid out this like four step like this four phase plan for reopening that will take months like that will take months and months like theaters will be open will be able won't, don't have to wait to open till the end of phase four but 
it will take months and they have the ability to exercise control over when things happen. And also if infections start to get worse again, they can roll those phases back and close things down again. Like that's all in the plan, right? And and that's not the case in, in the Southeast, but that is in some of the major markets for, for theaters like New York, California. I don't know how much Massachusetts really is to be honest, but New York and California. And uh, the good news is, and, and take this for what it's worth, and then I do want to get your thoughts on the trailer, but like when theaters open, this will be the movie that opens theaters. Like Warner Brothers Probably. has made it so clear that this is the film that's going to open. And that will be good for the social distancing protocols because it will need pretty much every theater to be showing it for it to be as successful because we will not be packing in theaters with people. I mean, that would be crazy. I think the only re way for Massachusetts to end phase four is to show Avengers Endgame, obviously. But um, re regardless, yeah, I know. I definitely understand that it's it's region by region. But I mean, look, the Southeast has done it and you can debate about the wisdom of doing it. I mean, I certainly have my doubts, but the numbers aren't like we haven't there hasn't been a huge spike or anything uh, up, upon things reopening. So I do wonder if. If other states, other regions will look at, you know, their plans and say, maybe we can do this a little bit quicker because, you know, things aren't going too poorly in the southeast. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah we'll but I, I think I think that, that it, that's a fair logic. But like when you actually drill it into like things aren't aren't going too poorly, like you're you are talking about lives like you're talking about people dying. Sure. Right. And and I think you have to ask yourself, like, what is the appetite to take on like? Are if we if we do it the way we're going to do it, is it fifty thousand people who who? No, okay, that's obviously. Oh, I mean, the the number for the U.S. deaths just ticked over a hundred thousand, so that's not the right way. Is it a thousand more people are going to die, or is it fifteen hundred more people who are going to die? And I think when you start asking that question, you're like, well, shit. Like, can we really do something that is going to increase the deaths by five hundred, even if it's a small number? Mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's a tougher sell. I mean, unfortunately, I no, I I agree with what you're saying. Unfortunately, I think that what most states are probably doing is a balancing of Hey, can we lose this number of lives? You know, versus what's going on in the the economy, and obviously that's that's a very uh, cruel thing to do. But I think that uh, look, the Southeast has already done it right. They have decided that the economy the live turn is important as the economy is a greater priority, right? And I think that that is the kind of inquiry that is going to be going on in other states. And as you know, as the the deaths continue to you know maybe slightly decline or stay where they are at. 500, 1,000 to your point, um, I think that they're going to be persuaded that, hey, look, the, the economy is more important than, you know, the number, odd number of people that will be still affected by the, the virus if we, if we open things back up. So, I mean, you know, I, theaters are something that I think it would be easy to maintain social distancing protocols, but we will see. I, the, the only thing is concessions, I guess. You know, there are those people who cannot go to the movie unless they have their concessions. But you just mobile order. Either, you just you just mobile. Yeah, order. even that. Like, I mean, you can mobile order at every restaurant. So, uh, but that's that's enough about that. As far as the trailer goes, I did think it was good, Scott. Um, I think it's what a trailer for a Nolan movie should be, and that at the end you still have no idea what the heck is going on in the trailer or what oh, yeah, the heck totally. the movie is going to be about. Um, but you're interested, right? Um, and not just because it's Nolan, but I think because it's clearly going to be doing something original. I mean, I think we have John David Washington, who's obviously going to be the star here. I don't think we really saw her much in the trailer, but uh, my six foot three wife, Elizabeth Debicki, was did not show up here. Uh, I don't think, but she is in the movie. Um, she, she was there. She was there in the trailer. Okay. 
yeah, maybe I just forgot. But um, I think it is Michael Caine in this. Yeah, I thought so. Um, he's the guy that is, that he's talking to and says, uh, "You must be interested in a Russian in a Russian businessman." Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah, the and then the Russian, Russian businessman, businessman. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. Wow, um, this is going to be an experience because I think that Nolan's movies like are known for very sort of understated performances, right? Other than Heath what? Ledger as the Joker, um, I think that um, the performances that you get in these movies are often not showy um and that's not something that kenneth Branagh is known for being is not showy and it, particularly when you give him an absurd accent to do that is not his own accent um i am not sure uh if he's going to match the tone of the movie but i'm interested he did it fine in, Dun in, in dunkirk yeah he did that is that is true but um you know he was playing a british navy captain or I, I forget exactly what his title was but something that was a little more down the middle for him but this reminds me more of like him as hercule poirot right which sure. i thought he was a great hercule poirot but that kind of role calls for him to go over the top and uh sometimes he goes over the top without a role that that calls for it so yeah we'll see whether that but this role seems like i mean i i agree with what you're saying but i think this role actually calls for something over the top and i think that no one knows what he's getting maybe so him. like this seems like a bond villain kind of type of role i could be wrong maybe but, so yeah no no i i am i am open to that possibility i i am just uh basing that off many of the the nolan films that we have watched here recently, Scott. Yeah, I don't um, think you get you don't get many traditional villains in Nolan movies, so it's mm -hmm. uh it'll be interesting to see because this this film appears to have one, but we'll see. Um, okay. Uh, other piece of news you wanted to mention involving Mission Impossible? Yeah, so I said off air that that would be the short the shorter news version. <laughs> we really dove in there. Um, the other one, which well, this one we can make this one brief, but Nicholas Holt is exiting. The mission, at least Mission Impossible Seven. I don't know if he was going to be in Mission Impossible Eight too. They were being shot simultaneously and then released back to back. But Isai Morales is is replacing Nicholas Holt uh, due to scheduling conflicts. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, you know, Mission Impossible is going to be a months long shoot. I know things have been delayed, but what like what else does Nicholas Holt have going on? I don't know what what the deal is with that. But yeah, why wouldn't you clear your schedule for Mission Impossible? Yeah, I mean, maybe. maybe I mean, who knows what it is, right? It, it's disappointing. When when this news broke, we talked about it on here, and I think we were both, I mean, I can at least speak for myself, extremely excited to see Nicholas Holt have this opportunity. He was probably playing the villain. Seems that way, especially if Isai Morales is, is replacing him. But it, yeah, it's super disappointing. I mean, as I think Henry Cavill did a good job playing the villain in Mission Impossible 6, and it would have been really cool to see Nicholas Holt take over that mantle, probably, in Mission Impossible 7. And I, I don't know Isai Morales that well. I can I know it seems like he's he's done some pretty successful things in the past, but and I'm sure he'll be good. But I'm just disappointed because I I want Nicholas Holt to have that breakthrough role outside of you know, playing Beast on, in the new X Men trilogy, and and I think that this could have been a way to do that, but unfortunately didn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, again, I don't know if I buy scheduling conflicts, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that's a shame. And like, no, no knock to Isai Morales, but I feel like it is a step down, right? Because he's not really a movie star. Like he, he's been doing TV stuff. I mean, he, he's mainly known for for his TV roles, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so I don't know, it, it is a little surprising to me that if, if Holt was going to drop out, they didn't try to find someone at least on a similar plane, like the similar star power to, um, to Nicholas Holt. But 
maybe they are going to scale back this role even now that they don't have a, as big of an actor to to play it. But I don't know. I mean, if it's the villain, obviously that probably probably won't be the case. But it is an interesting choice to be his replacement, I guess, is my point. Also, because he's much older. Yeah, yeah, that was one part that confused me a little bit. I mean, I, I, again, we don't know all the details of this, and we don't know exactly who these guys are playing. Maybe they're playing different characters. Maybe they're rewriting the role, right? Maybe they are completely taking their own a different direction uh, for this for this change. But definitely, I think, disappointing. I, I don't know if Nicholas Holt is a movie star yet, but I, he definitely, for us at least, has more star power than Isai Morales. I mean, people who watch Ozark might feel differently, but... Um, yeah, I, it's disappointing, and I wish I wish that uh, whatever whatever the scheduling conflict is, I hope it's a good one. It wasn't he in How to Get Away with Murder as well? I thought, I thought he was in that show, but yeah, uh, yeah regardless, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a bummer, but look, it's it's a Mission Impossible movie. They got McCory, they got Tommy. Okay. It's gonna you're still good. gonna go see this movie to watch Tom Cruise go to space. I know that's not happening in this film. To watch but... him run. Yeah, to watch him run. Is the watch him break his leg with answer. realistic stunts. Um, yeah, so there's not much news that you could tell me that is going to get me to not see it unless maybe you did say, hey, Tom Cruise is going to be replaced by uh, Isai Morales, Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> Isai, <laughs> Isai Morales, Morales is going to play both the hero and the villain. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, Scott, final bit of news that I wanted to mention is uh, that one of my favorite directors, David Robert Mitchell, who um Obviously, last year had Under the Silver Lake, which is was a movie that was in my top 10 of the year. Um, and before that, had his breakthrough with It Follows, which is a movie that was in my top 10 of the decade. Um, so obviously, a big fan of what he does. He has a very specific style that is pretty recognizable, even after three films already. Studio um, comedies. Yes. And so he's going to be directing Kumail Nanjani. No, um, he uh, is going to be directing um, a superhero movie, uh, which is not a direction that I saw him going in. Uh, but I will say that this um, w what does gives me some interest is that this is a unique property, right? This is not going to be. I, at least to my knowledge, based on the existing property, is going to be called Heroes and Villains, um, and MGM is, is um, where this is going to be for the time being. Um, so this is an interesting direction for him. Like, you wonder if this is sort of a passion project for him. Like, has he always wanted to make a superhero movie uh, of some type? I don't know, but this is because he does have, I mean, his... Last two films, and, I mean, and Myth and Myth American, American Sleepover also are very independently minded, very like independent in their sensibilities. Um, it's not only the fact that he is going to a studio for this next movie, a big studio, but he is making, you know, the archetype of a big studio movie nowadays, which is a superhero movie. Um, but like I said, I think I, I am still excited because. Well, while I would have liked to see him, you know, continue maybe along the path that he's been going on, it is a unique property, right? So he's not necessarily going to be bound by um, anything uh, in terms of existing IP. So I think he is going to have the creative freedom to experiment and to maintain that style that is so present in It Follows and Under the Silver Lake um, and maybe do something with uh, superhero movies that we haven't seen yet like maybe kind of i mean i'm not saying it's going to be on this level but like spider-verse right was a movie that was a superhero movie that like we had never seen before it, it reinvented the way that we think about superhero movies um and maybe mitchell can 
do something similar. I mean, I think if there are if there is any director out there who is going to be able to bring something different to superhero movies, he's probably a good example. Mm, Taika. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's well, a, he already did that. Yeah, sure. I, I think it's an interesting one. Obviously, it being an original take is interesting. Like, that, is, that is really interesting. You don't see tr- you don't see too many truly original superhero takes anymore. Sure. You have creative spins, innovation. I don't, I'm not demeaning anything there. I think Spider-Verse is a good example. There's ways to always twist uh, existing properties, things like that. But actually writing something from scratch. I mean, that's that's interesting. I, I'll be interested to see if you can pull it together. Uh, and I think that maybe the most interesting thing for you, Scott, as someone who did really like Under the Silver Lake, is that Michael DeLuca, who's now the head of MGM, getting into the business side here again. Where it's a business-heavy section of the podcast today. But uh, I think we're yeah, we talked about it in the film. We talked about it just now with Chris Nolan, and now we're talking about it here too. Michael DeLuca, who's now the head, a recent recently appointed like the head of MGM, I think, or either the head or or produce like the lead producer over there. He actually. Uh, it was his independent film company that actually produced Under the Silver Lake. So Michael DeLuca and David David Robert Mitchell worked together to produce Under the Silver Lake, and now bringing him under the banner of MGM rather than kind of leaving it out there in the in the indie cold, so to speak, uh, with with that film. H twenty four eventually picked it up, obviously, but uh, yeah. So I think that's interesting from a creative perspective. Clearly, they have a pretty good relationship, and Michael DeLuca trusts him. I I, I wonder how the performance of Under the Silver Lake and vod which is i mean that's really putting putting the film out the past i mean these these days it probably would be fine but uh at the time was really putting the film out the pasture probably by a24 uh i i wonder if that will affect the formation of this movie at all what exactly will go into it like you're probably not going to give him a big budget so it'll be interesting to see what he does with with a limited budget and there's plenty that you can do with limited budget if anyone is proof of that it's anything produced by Blumhouse, anything Jordan Peele does, super low budget, but very creative and very innovative. Um, so I, th- I think he can do it, but I'm I'm interested, but I don't know if I'm excited yet. Yeah, I mean, I think he should be able to get a pretty decent cast as well. Right? I mean, he had and- he got Andrew Garfield for uh, Under the Silver Lake and um, Riley Keough, who I think is somebody who is a rising star a little bit. So um, with again, with the bigger studio behind him, I think that... Um, MGM's not a bigger studio, but yeah. yeah. Not anymore. I, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's true. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. But the point is, he has the name recognition now. I think where he uh, could could draw in some some big names for this. So I'm Maybe. excited. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about this a lot with Olivia Wilde. And in terms of, I think people want to work with Olivia Wilde. Like the, whatever whatever atmosphere she creates on set is close to that people want to be in and be around. I don't know if that's true for David Robert Mitchell, but I think that if if that is true, then Look, you can line up some pretty good stars, and they're probably willing to take um, a pay cut, so to speak, to to be in the film, especially if it's not a super long shoot, things like that. Like, I, again, we just don't know anything about this movie, so we don't know what it's really going to shape up and look like. Yeah, I will say that generic title is not exactly that exciting, but um, I wonder if they might change it. I mean, that that seems like I a title that might have changed. Yeah they should but um okay scott i think that should just about do it for today's episode of some like it scott any parting thoughts not really uh oh actually yeah i will say it's memorial day it's memorial day right now when we're recording so thank you to everyone who's served for our country fought and died to to protect america i know that uh these days it might get especially this year might get overlooked in the span of everything that's happening with the coronavirus but yeah thank you thank you everyone to who has or has family members that have served is um, it's something special to do that. So thank you. Yeah. Hi, I absolutely concur. Um, 
with with what you're saying. Um, I think that um, we, we uh, nowadays we're thinking of people serving and we're, we're starting to think of people serving in different ways um, because of the, the pandemic, um, like, you know, medical professionals and yep. the postal workers and Absolutely. that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't think that our, our people who have served, our veterans, people who have served in the military should be forgotten in that as well, because yep. um, they, they have, you know, provided uh, a lot of the, the freedoms that we have today. So um, yeah, that, that's, that's a good word for me there. Um, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 where my Twitter is mostly quiet because Twitter is a massive black hole to lose yourself in if you uh, if you spend too much time on there. That is true, and yet I do spend too much time out, uh, on there. And you can find me at Scarvy Dent there spending too much time. I'm doing the 30-day film challenge right now, which is kind of fun, so check yeah, that I'm out. Yeah, I'm enjoying checking in every day. Yeah, um, you should do it. There you go. That's, that's a way to bring some positivity to Twitter, maybe talk about movies you like, but, um, I know you're not, but anyway, I might, uh, no, I'm, I, I debated it when I started, you started doing it. There you go. Um, you'll have to follow him on Twitter to know whether he actually goes through with it or not, but we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you haven't like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, you can support us over there. Even if you can't though, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things on your preferred podcast app. Um, you can also subscribe to our newsletter. Also check out the Nolan Countdown, Champs Lunch, all of our other podcasts that we have over there in the Some Like It Scott feed. And we hope you will be back for our next episode on which we will be reviewing either the high note or uh, on the record. We, we've yet Maybe to decide, both. but... It will be one of those movies. It could be both. Uh, Who who knows? You'll have to, again, you'll have to come back next week to find out. But uh, until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.